Carl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They've slayed the dragon! Daniel. Henrik. Back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Ten seconds left in the power play. Here's Hughes, top of the point, shoots and scores! Come on without, come on within. You've not seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. Back to Pedersen. Can't find a lane, wants to shoot, goes back to Miller, side of the goal, then to the line for Hughes. Hughes back to Patterson, wanted a one-timer, passes in his skates, he settles it down, throws it to the goal, stopped by Bebo, Bebo, they score! It's Brock Besser at the side of the net! Patterson's released from the box, Vancouver's back to even strength, but the Blue Jackets still have it in the zone, Boone Jenner with a pass through the middle, goes all the way down the ice, here's Patterson after him, he's got a chance at a breakaway, Patterson in clean, is tripped by Murray, but he scores! and puts the puck into the back of the net. You're listening to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Seven oh two. What's up, Vancouver? Happy Monday. Hope you guys are doing well this evening. Raja Shergill with you. Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside me. Hello. On a little bit of a rainy Monday. Are you a fan of that? I kind of am. After I'm a big rain guy. Are you? Yeah, me too. I don't know if that's underrated. Like, are many people rain guys or rain people? Like, I, I feel like where we live, we get a lot of rain and people, like, just love to trash on it. Low key, I like the rain. I don't like doing things, and the rain makes it feel like I don't have to do things. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rain gives me a sense of comfort, and if I'm being lazy for a day, rain is there to make me feel okay about I, it. I would love to, like, just on a Saturday or a Sunday, if there's football on, where you're just get out of bed, 9.30 a.m., raining outside. You're November. In your, exactly. Comfy PJs. You got a blanket on, and you're watching football. Like, that's the kind of morning that I enjoy. I'm, I'm ready for that. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great. Like, we've got summer. We had a couple of heat waves. We sweat for a long time. People complained. I complained. I don't like the heat that much. I like uh, I like going out. I like having a few pops. But if I had to choose one, I, I think I would go 51% of the time I would prefer the rainy day. I'm with you. Yeah, probably verging on 60%. Right. Maybe not, like, flood to weather where it's just pounding down, but... A little bit of rain. Makes me feel okay. Yeah, I enjoy it. Roger Shurga with you. Josh Elliott Wolf, welcome in Sportsnet tonight here on the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Talking with uh, James Coe at uh, the bottom of the hour, 730. We will get into some NFL talk. Also, um, the topic that we'll start off with today, the Vancouver Canucks uh, obviously made it official a couple of days ago that Jason Dickinson now has a new contract, $2.65 million, three-year deal. And he was on the station with Randeep Janda and Dan Riccio today on the People's Show. They t- they discussed how that rounds out the Vancouver Canucks' forward group. And Josh, you and I both agree that the Canucks' forward group, if not in this division, pretty much in the entire National Hockey League, it's a, a very good forward group that has vastly improved and is obviously the best that this team has seen in almost a decade. But when you look at the blue line, the question marks then start to come up. And I feel like, especially online, on Twitter, 
and wherever you're, wherever else you consume a lot of your Vancouver Canucks information, it is that the blue line always sticks out like a sore thumb that this is going to be the downfall of the Canucks. And I'm not sure if I disagree with that necessarily, but I feel like the impact that people talk about how much it's going to imp- how much it's going to negatively affect the Canucks is is kind of overblown. Yeah, I can see. I here's my thing with the defense is yes, there are a lot of question marks, namely Oliver Ekman Larson, Quinn Hughes as well. I mean, you you know what you're gonna get from Hughes offensively. He's gonna be a great play driver. He's gonna be great on the power play. But defensively, we saw last year, there's there's still some question marks. And then, obviously, bringing in Tucker Pullman, we'll have to see what he can do. Travis Hamanick, uh, hopefully he could stay healthy, even if it's just for most of the season, that would be nice. And then the third pair as well, Jack Rathbone and uh, Luke Shen or whoever else they put in there. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Uh, but that being said, it, it's there's a lot of question marks, but I do think there is a high potential for success you forgot about the biggest player on the blue line Tyler Myers the biggest one there it is there it is um yeah and listen people are 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 right I guess to have this opinion that the blue line is probably going to be something that the Canucks are going to immediately look to fix next year like already in the offseason for 2022, there are going to be question marks. How can the Canucks fix this defensive core? And that's fair, right? Especially based on everything that we've seen with the amount of risk that they've brought in with how terrible they played in their own end last season. I think that's a legitimate question mark to have. But at the same time, are we not undervaluing the potential that this blue line also has? Like, Quinn Hughes last year, I think a lot of people were disappointed with how he played, especially in his own zone. As you mentioned, the offensive production was there, but from a defensive point of view, in my eyes, there was a lot of mistakes that never really had much to do with his partner, which a lot of people pointed the finger to, whether whether it was a Travis Hamannick, whether he played with Tyler Myers, whoever it might have been. People were saying, well, give him, a, give him a competent defender and he'll play better in his own zone. I don't see it that way. I saw a lot of the mistakes that Quinn Hughes made were... He was where he was getting beat one on one down the rush, or he was, you know, protecting the front of the net, and a player would come in right behind him and just get in a nice rebound goal. So I found a lot of those mistakes were him making one on one types of errors. So I still think there's bounce back potential in his own end there, and the same goes for a guy like Jack Rathbone, who's coming in to his second year, another opportunity to grow, and then we've still got guys like Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers who. Yeah, I guess with Myers, you know what you're going to get. But is there not a little bit of bounce-back potential in an OEL? So as bad as people might peg this blue line out to be, I still think that there is the idea that it can be better than what people are expecting. The issue for me is that there's there's a lot of offensive potential. I mean, you look at Quinn Hughes, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Myers... And you see that those are guys, and Rathbone to an extent as well, you see that those are guys that can definitely contribute offensively and put up numbers that way. The issue for me is defensemen are supposed to be good at defense. And each of those guys, and we haven't really seen Rathbone yet, but each of those guys have struggled with that. Even when Ekman Larson was one of the best defensemen in the league, 
he was mainly known for being very elite offensively and not necessarily the best in his own zone. So the the issue to me is that they haven't really surrounded those three guys with adequate enough defensemen. Like Travis Havnick, yeah, he, he can be a pretty solid defensive defenseman, but that's only one guy. Tucker Pullman, well, we kind of have to wait and see what the Canucks are going to get from him, but he's just kind of been average defensively so far in his career. And obviously Jack Rathbone is more of an offensive-minded defenseman. If they put in Ole Levy instead, he does play a more defensive game. But that being said, he's still, last year he wasn't fantastic defensively. He was he was okay and and definitely got beat at times. His foot speed isn't quite there. So Yes, I believe in the potential for bounce back from Oliver Ekman Larson, but I, I I think there's only an offensive bounce back in him, maybe not a defensive game that he's all of a sudden going to find. Well, I guess the question is, how much does this impact the Vancouver Canucks' opportunity to make the playoffs? Right, because from a forward point of view, you would look at this team and say, okay, they're already, and if they get adequate defending, then with a bullet, they should be in the playoffs. And if you look at the goaltending, then that also obviously is a point in Vancouver's favor. But... Is this team, in your eyes, going to be a playoff caliber team with this defense? Because, as we mentioned, forward's not a problem. But are the defenders going to put them in a position where contending for the postseason is going to be a reality? Not just this year, but for the coming handful of seasons as they have all of these contracts on the books. And and that is where you kind of have to look at around the division. Because they've got Calgary... We've got Vegas, we've got Anaheim, Los Angeles, San Jose, and now Seattle. Amongst those teams, where are we ranking this Vancouver Canucks blue line? So you and I kind of went through this exercise earlier. Listeners, you can chime in as well, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Where do the Canucks fit in amongst the rest of the Pacific Division with their defense? I would say the Canucks aren't the worst but I would only put them above San Jose and Edmonton. And when you and I were going through this, I was surprised at like how bad San Jose San Jose's defense is. Like they have Brent Burns, he puts up points. They have Eric Carlson, who five years ago he was amazing, and now he's he, he's one of the worst contracts, if not the worst contract in the league. Um, and then past that, like mark edward vlasic used to be solid defensively is now kind of past his prime and falling off a bit and then just a few guys turn turn back the clocks five years yeah and this team is they are elite yeah Yeah, but they 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 have three guys that used to be really good and then a few no-name guys and so san jose is at the bottom for me edmondson you kind of know the story there darnell nurse is good tyson berry is good on the power play, but overpaid and not very good defensively. Duncan Keith is way past his prime. And then you got guys like Evan Bouchard, Philip Broberg, right. Cody Cece scares me. And then one above them, I put the Canucks. Like, I think that the the bottom two teams of this, of this eight-team division are by far the worst. And then you start to sort of get into this pattern where it, it gets a little tougher to rank them. I think we all agree that the Vegas Golden Knights have the the most complete blue line on this in this division right by far Vegas is probably the team that you look at and say that defense core is is really good not only from an an offensive point of view but also how they're able to handle their own end 
and they've got guys like Alec Martinez and Alex Petrangelo, who Petrangelo in particular had a slow start this season, but in the end, second half of it, he was able to bounce back and was tremendous. And Shea Theodore might be, if he's like a top 10 defenseman in the league to me. Exactly. And Theodore, that's what I mean. You, you got a te- you've got a player in Petrangelo who a lot of people had, had pegged as one of the top five blue liners a couple of years ago. And, and now there's a legitimate chance that Shea Theodore is even better than him. Yeah. Right. And and then you even for a guy like Zach Whitecloud, he's a big boy who's able to move the puck out, plays a very physical brand of hockey. He is going to earn himself a pretty nice paycheck next year as well. I la- really like his game. So not only do they have the name value and the brand at- attached to a lot of these defensemen, they've got depth as well. Nick Haig is another player that has played very well and fit in nicely to that Vegas Golden Knights team. The other team that's probably in the top tier, and I don't know if I would put them in the exact category as Vegas, but they are definitely, in my eyes, number two, is a team that hasn't even played a game yet. It is the Seattle Kraken. Yeah, definitely. And Vegas is obviously far and away the best in this division. They're in the conversation for best in the league. But yeah, Seattle, I mean, you look at Mark Giordano, Adam Larson, I think is going to be a really, really good pickup for them. Jamie Alexiak, Vince Dunn, Kale Fleury, Hayden Fleury. So just, they're not necessarily top heavy because Mark Giordano is very good, but he's he's old, nearing the end of his career, one would assume. Adam Larson is is probably their best defenseman in my eyes. But past that, they have a bunch of guys that, and it was the same with Vegas where they have a few players that just weren't fully utilized on their old teams. And maybe when you put them in, in the Kraken roster, they're able to shine a little bit more. But that being said, I think their third pairing guys would regularly be second pairing defensemen on other teams. And we saw the same thing happen with Vegas. So I think you and I are both on the same page with our top two. And not only like, uh, not only are they obviously great, great players in in both ends of the ice, but a lot of them have the ability to eat a lot of minutes. We've seen what Adam Larson has done and and really not get appreciated enough, in my opinion, in Edmonton. A lot of that has to do with who the player he was traded for, but maybe he wasn't exactly a $5 million defenseman. I think he got four and four by four in Seattle, but that's kind of where a lot of people were pegging him out to be, and, and that maybe scared some people off about bringing him to their respective market, but Overall, I think he's a pretty decent player. He's a very physical guy, and and I do think that he fits in well, nice uh, fits in nicely. But the team that I would put at number three, Josh, and and here's where I think you and I disagree a little bit is is the Calgary Flames, because for me, Calgary is kind of like Vegas in the sense that they don't necessarily have a player that pops out at you, but they've got guys that make the entire roster, or make the entire blue line, I should say, overall, a, a strong force. And the style that they play is is obviously very beneficial because, look, Chris Tanev last year seemingly had a resurgence year. He was Calgary's best defenseman. They've got Noah Hannafin, who's a little boring of a player, but he's able to get the job done on a defensive point of view, doesn't do a whole lot offensively for you. I like Nikita Zadorov's game. They needed that physical presence, they felt or at least Daryl Sutter probably felt, on, on their blue line. And now they've got a big guy to do that with, with Zadorov. And, and Rasmus Anderson, 
Not exactly a big guy, but he plays like one, blocks shots, moves the puck out, has a little bit of offensive flair as well. And then you add the potential, and this is very much based on potential and, and how his injury history plays out. But Yusuf Alamaki does have that, uh, you know, an opportunity to go out there and, and be a legitimate top four player for them. And, and Calgary has obviously tried to keep him on their roster for as long as they can because there's been a lot of teams that have come calling for him and they've been reluctant to give him up because they really believe in Valimaki. So I do think this is a team that, that has really, you know, a strong core player. And, and for me, Seattle is kind of in a similar boat. I would say for me, Calgary's number four. And the reason for that is I just don't see a lot of upside there. I see a lot of a lot of players that are adequate. I mean, you look at Chris Tanev and he's he's very good defensively and and we know that in Vancouver. But that being said, I don't know if there's the offensive upside. I know Rasmus Anderson has it and uh Valimaki a little bit as well. But it's just not How are you putting Seattle number two then? Well, it's it's the they're in a similar tier to me. But Seattle just has – Mark Giordano, to me, is better offensively right. than most of Cal- – and Anderson, I know, was better than Giordano last year. But Giordano just has that offensive upside to me that I think that's, puts them over the top. That's Calgary's downside is that lack of offensive pop. They don't have that. Yeah. But, again, from a, from a, a, a point of view of strictly defending, I, I would argue that they might be right up there with Vegas. I don't think. And and hey, listen, with we'll see how Jacob Markstrom can bounce back as well and that helps that, a lot. How that overall sort of ability to keep pucks out of your net works out. But I I, I really like the Calgary Flames defensive core and, and I I was wrong about this, I think, in 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 the season that just happened because it was a Pacific division and everything was all over the place. But I think the Calgary Flames were a team that I expected to to do very well. And they very much underperformed. And a lot of that had to do with the blue line and a lot of that had to do with with Jacob Markstrom and the injuries and, and not being able to obviously play to the style that the Flames had hoped. And I think that this is another team that has that potential to really bounce back on the blue line. And I I think I'm talking myself into, Josh, putting them right up there with Vegas. Maybe even a 1A or a 1B. <laughs> Definitely I'm talking not. myself into yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's a big note for me. I would put them fourth. My third, and this might be controversial because they haven't played very well, but my third is the Anaheim Ducks. And I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid. Wh- yeah, when you, when you hear that, you're like, Josh, you're dumb. What are you saying? But you look at their defense, Cam Fowler, who – is still up there. He's not a top 10 defenseman, but he's he's a really good defenseman, and he's capable of being either on your first or second pair. Hampus Lindholm, same kind of boat where he's not super elite, but he, he's still good at what he does. Dr- Jamie Drysdale is up and coming. I think we know that eventually he could be one of the better guys in the league, but he hasn't really necessarily shown that yet and then Kevin Shattenkirk has his moments I don't think he's a great defenseman and then you have Josh Manson as well and Jacob Larson so to me and the reason I put them above Calgary is they have offensive flair as well as also being they're also good defensively Um, that being said maybe not as good as Calgary but I would take better offensively and adequate defensively defensively than mediocre offensively and great defensively. But you know what what's going to happen when when they trade yet another defenseman? Like over, over the years, how many blue liners have the Ducks just given away? 
just given away. Like it, because like they Cam, have so many good ones. Cam Fowler. Uh, sorry, not Cam Fowler. What am I saying? Uh, Shea Theodore just gone. Like gone in the expansion draft, and and say whatever you want about that, but now he's one of the best defensemen as you just mentioned in the league. Sammy Votnin, he's got the injury history, but prior to him being dealt, he was a very good player that was playing solid minutes for them, and he was a young defenseman that was still growing, just gone. Brandon Montour, he was a player that a lot of people here in this market were saying we would like to see him in Vancouver, and now he is going to do very well uh, with the Florida Panthers, and we know exactly what we expect from that team, that there's a lot of expectations uh, on, uh, on the Panthers in South Florida. So, I don't necessarily think that this is a bad blue line, but there is so much risk, I think, with, with the potential of Josh Manson being dealt. How long has he been on the market for? And, and not to mention the injury history with the Ducks. Like, Manson out last year, Hampus Lindholm out last year. Uh, you've got an aging uh, uh, Shattenkirk who, who I guess had a pretty solid campaign with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And... Maybe he can be that sort of leader for you in the dressing room, but on the ice, there still is that lack of, you know, defensive awareness, I feel like, in his game a little bit. Yeah, he can put up points for you, but I, I just don't believe in this blue line the same way you do, I guess. Shattenkirk's defensive numbers to me have improved, but yeah, he's not, that's not what he's known for. I do think their defense would be appreciated more if they had a better forward group. And, yeah. And I do think like that, that's, they have a lot of offensive play drivers on the blue line that can't drive play to forwards because Ryan Getzlaff is still on their first line. So does this mean that you, Josh Elliott-Wolf, believe that the Anaheim Ducks have a better decor than the Vancouver Canucks? Yes. I But, but I'm only saying that based on where they were last year. If the I, Canucks, the, I believe the Canucks have higher potential on their blue line than the Anaheim Ducks. Right. But that being said, if if everybody performs this year the same as they did last year, the Anaheim Ducks are going to have a better defense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's no question about that. Anaheim obviously hasn't been great at keeping the puck out of their own net over the last couple of years and and that has a lot to do with the blue line even though they've got probably one of the most underrated goaltenders in the entire national hockey league it is roger shurgill it is josh elliott wolf um the field of dreams game happened a couple of days ago in the world of baseball it was a big win for mlb josh everybody seemed to appreciate it went about as well as the mlb could have asked for right yeah, if for so, for a league that doesn't seem to have a lot of W's, that, that was, was a big, big W. w. Yeah. yeah, so like Chicago came in first place in their division, streaking, and they have a bunch of good players. New York just loaded up at the at the deadline, and obviously people are always going to watch the Yankees. And then the game itself was like as exciting of a baseball game as you. And maybe some people just aren't into baseball, and it's never going to be exciting. But it was a crazy game to watch well when you when you're a kid and you you know you're you're sort of looking at baseball movies or books or kind of the cliches around the game of baseball it's always bottom of the ninth inning walk off home run for the victory and that's kind of what we got it was almost like it was out of a movie um field of dreams maybe exactly and so you know it, it just made me think like we need more moments like this in sports isn't it like like that's those are the kinds of moments that everybody watches sports for, and like the the young kid comes out of you. Um, but what are like the options 
for Field of Dreams type of games and other sports. In the National Hockey League, it's easy. They've already done it. They've done it for years. It's the Winter Classic. It's the Heritage Classic. It's the it's the terrible Stadium Series. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I love the Stadium I, Series. Don't even get me started on the Stadium Series. But the the NHL has its moments. And, and look, there's a lot of skeptics about the Winter Classic as well. But they've had their misses. They've had their hits. When you do so many, you're going to have that. But overall, I think the Winter Classic and the outdoor games as a whole have obviously been pretty good. And and you look at the Lake Tahoe game just this past year, and, and it was a, a great success, especially with the aesthetics, right? And that's similar to the Field of Dreams game. But when you look at the world of football and the world of basketball, is there something that those sports in the NBA and the NFL can do that can also give them that kind of flair? Not that those leagues need it, but to, to play a game perhaps in a different sort of venue that might take you away from just Staples Center or whatever it might be. It's definitely a lot harder than right. other sports. And, and that being said, I don't think the NBA or NFL are really struggling, and so they don't they don't feel the need to go out and do these risky things. But for me, if I was, I'll start with basketball. If basketball and the NBA were to have an outdoor game of some sort, I would say you just do it on the streets of New York somewhere. Right. And you just block off a road. You can set up hoops, but I think you should do it on like the concrete and like, just have it like a, like it's, it's like NBA street. Yeah, like exactly. And, or it's just like people grew up doing that and that's all they were able to do. Yeah. And it's going to have the similar feel to what you were like when a ki- when you were a kid, maybe playing at your school. Right. And you get, maybe you get the metal rims that have no net on it because they can't <laughs> afford the net replacement. And right. So you've got to it- make it look super ghetto. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. Have some spray paint on yeah. the backboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do that, and I think it would. I I would watch that. It would be really cool to see. I think so too. I think somewhere like that, like it, it needs to almost be like in an alleyway, right? It, yeah. very, dim lighting. Dim lighting. Very colorful. Uh, you've got to obviously have fans around. There's no seating. There's no seating. It's just everybody's just sort of looking, trying to look over everybody's shoulder to see if they can get anything. So you don't really see the players play if you're in the very back row. You just see the ball go up. And, and you're reacting, you know, something like that. I, I think that would be really cool. Um, 650, 650, let us know. For the NFL and for the NBA, where would you like to see these kinds of outdoor type of games, maybe that are like untraditional, where would you like to see them happen? And even in the NHL, if there's somewhere that you would like to see uh, happen as well, because, hey, we've talked about it for a long time. Uh, Lake Louise, Whistler, whatever else it might be, let's get it done in the NHL, give it more of an outdoor, more uh, more of a real outdoor setting. Uh, and, and we'll see what can, what we can think of in 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line, the smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Share your thoughts with us. We will read the texts throughout the day, but coming up on the other side of the break, James Coe, NFL direct TV fantasy expert for the red zone. He is going to join us here on Sportsnet tonight. It is Roger Sergio. It is Josh Elliott Wolf. You're listening to the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. Wrapping up the week in sports. This is Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf. Welcome back. It is Sportsnet Tonight. Raja Shergill with you, Josh Elliott Wolf, alongside me here in the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber in Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 
Facebook.com, we asked you guys, where would you like to see more outdoor games that we've seen for a long time in the National Hockey League? We've seen, obviously, in baseball now with the Field of Dreams games, but is there a a venue or a place that makes sense in the world of basketball or in football that you would like to see? Unsigned text saying, I love the street idea, which was Josh's playing in the streets of New York. Maybe lay down a court in Times Square. You could section of fans like they do for New Year's. Knicks and Bulls would be amazing. I agree with that. With the bright lights of Times Square, it would look absolutely amazing. Wow, I haven't heard you guys in a while. That comes another text as Josh Elliott Wolf and I were on hiatus from the air for a while. Sus- it's been a minute. Suspended, maybe. Yeah, probably. I think, uh, it, well, if we want to peel back the curtain, I think it's just been a combination of the Vancouver Canadians play a lot and they generally play at 7 o'clock. And also, we are busy covering other people who are going on vacation. So it's been a minute, but we're back for at least a week. We are back. We're back until um, they say we're not back, but hopefully you guys enjoy us. Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf, James Cole getting set to join us in a couple of minutes' time. We're just trying to track him down. We'll talk to him about what is all happening in the world of the National Football League, as obviously preseason is now underway. There's been a lot of teams that have either looked very well or some teams that you might be a little worried about. And, well, my Los Angeles Chargers, what can I say? Justin Herbert never obviously played in that co- in that uh, preseason contest, but they came back on they came out on top, my LA Chargers. And you know we're gonna have a conversation. We'll ask James Cole about this too. What teams are you underrated? What teams that you might have underrated might surprise you a little bit? And I I, I might be a little biased on this, but I, I do think that the LA Chargers are are a team that's in there. James Cole now joining us from NFL Direct TV. James, thanks so much for giving us some time. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to be part of the program, man. Thanks so much for giving us the time, man. Really appreciate it. Love the energy already. Uh, Packers, man, like they have been the the team that everybody's talked about this offseason. They are obviously a, a top-tier squad, and they've got real Super Bowl aspirations as well. But their relationship with Aaron Rodgers, James, it, it was described as a work in progress by Rodgers. Is there any <laughs> sense that the offseason issues can impact how their season goes? Well, I mean, it sounded like it impacted him last year to the tune of 51 total touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers. So, um, you know, I'll say this. I don't know if the relationship is going to impact their football stuff, but, you know, prior to last year, Aaron Rodgers was in a clear decline. Um, And, you know, this whole angry Aaron Rodgers narrative, we've been going with this for like five freaking years, you know? Like, how angry can this man get? You know, it's like at this point he is what he is. He's a phenomenal player. Obviously, he lifted all the boats that were in that uh, harbor of Green Bay. And, um, and for me, he's still playing at a high level. But there are some red flags because, again, prior to last year, he absolutely was showing some age and decline uh, the three prior seasons to 2020. Is there any team in spe- specifically that, like, maybe it doesn't happen this season, but heading into next off season that – maybe seems like an ideal fit for Aaron Rodgers if he leaves Green Bay? Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Put Aaron Rodgers in Miami right now. They're Super Bowl contenders, straight up. Um, And, like, I think it's cute that Miami, you know, wants to say, oh, Tua's our guy, and we're going to go with Tua. 
bro, Tua is not the answer. You know, I'm sorry. Like, I've seen enough. You know, it's like, I, and I know we haven't seen a lot of Tua, but I, I've seen enough to know that he's not the answer. He might be a very capable quarterback, NFL quarterback. He might be, hell, he might be a, a nice, you know, starter. Okay, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. You give Aaron Rodgers that defense with those weapons on the outside, my God, um, they will light up the scoreboard. And I, and I love that fit, and I know no one's talking about it. But watch 2021 go by. Watch Tua struggle in 2021. And when Aaron Rodgers becomes available this offseason, that is going to be a very interesting landing, potential landing spot for him. I would love that roster construction with the talent level of Aaron Rodgers. Well, you're right, and, and the Miami Dolphins do have a lot of talent level as well. You mentioned it on defense, but they've added some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball as well. And, you know, Brian Flores saying that the mistakes that Tua has made, they're, they're correctable. Those are kinds of errors that a lot of young quarterbacks make, but I take it that you're not buying into any of that. I, I, what I saw last year was a, a quarterback that was extremely hesitant, didn't want to pull the trigger. As a matter of fact, there was some audio between him and Fitzpatrick and basically Fitzpatrick saying like, hey, listen, there's college open and then there's NFL open. And not only is there college open, there is Nick Saban, Alabama open. You see what I'm saying? Versus like, did he have to struggle at any point? You know what I mean? Like he's got the best offensive line. He's got the best wide receivers. He's got the best offensive mind. He's, everything was there for him. And yes, he, he lit it up. But now that he's playing against other competitive teams, I'm seeing a lot of hesitation. I'm seeing a guy that processing speed is just not there. Um, and so, yeah, man, like I, I'm, I, I'm not really buying it. Um, I, I know the hip injury has slowed him down quite a bit. I wonder if that has also led to some psychological issues there too. But um, bottom line is, man, like when the rubber meets the road, he will have no excuses. Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Jalen Waddell, um, this is a, a I, I mean, even the tight end, Mike Kosicki, it's like, it's a loaded pass catching group. He's got a decent offensive line and the defense is going to keep him in ball games. He's going to have absolutely no excuse not to win a minimum of 11 games this year. Well, we know that you're a big fantasy football guy as well. And when it comes from a fantasy perspective, when you look at the Miami Dolphins and a lot of the guys that you mentioned, is there anybody that really stands out to you that you think can be a, a difference maker amongst fantasy rosters? Well, I'll give you one positive, one negative. Um, I am intrigued by Jalen Waddle, um, and that's a positive. Um, you know, Will Fuller is going to be sidelined for a game, um, and I just wonder if Jalen Waddle just comes out the gate and just and just burns it. You know what I mean? Because he's got that kind of long speed. He's a special player. Um, but will Tua pull the trigger? I'm I'm not sure. And on the flip side of that, Devontae Parker is somebody who is great in a contested catch area. But the reason he's great in the contested catch area is because he gets no separation. Um, and, and it's kind of good and bad, you know. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick didn't mind throwing to a guy who was covered. That's Devontae Parker. But from a fantasy perspective, I doubt very seriously Devontae Parker will see very many looks from a guy like Tua Tungavailoa, um, who, again, really needs to see a man pretty much wide open before he tr pulls the trigger. And that will almost never be Devontae Parker. I want to switch to the uh, the team the Dolphins were playing this past week, the Chicago Bears, and Justin Fields, who's just getting all the hype and and all the coverage. He is the preseason sweetheart so far. Right. Uh, what do you think of him, and and do you think he will take over the number one spot in Chicago at some point this year? If he doesn't, something has gone you know 
crazy wrong. Um, it's the talent level just oozes. You know what I mean? Like, was he making a lot of like uh, completing a lot of passes? No, like he made a lot of checkdowns. Um, but man, that mobility in the pocket is something else, man. And you could just tell the way the ball just comes out of his hands. He has got that special arm talent. Um, what's that offense going to look like when he is on the field with Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, and the entire starting squad uh, for the Bears? And, 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 again, keep in mind, he is taking on the Dolphins' defense, which is, again, probably one of, you know, the five best in the NFL. So, um, for me, I, I just kind of am with everybody else. I'm really excited to see what Justin Fields can do, uh, just given his mobility, given the arm talent, um, and some of the pieces surrounding him. The the Bears to me are one of the teams that didn't really perform to what I kind of expected last year, and obviously that was related to the quarterback. But do you think they're a team that could maybe be sneaky this year and and challenge for a playoff spot, maybe have success in the playoffs as well if all things go right for the Bears? Oh my goodness, they should challenge for a playoff spot. There's just no no doubt about it, right? Like um, their defensive line, their defensive front seven is, is looking really nice. Um, you know, I love the addition of Robert Quinn. Um, and, and yeah, do they need a little bit of help on the, on the outside? But we're, yes, but we're picking, you know, we're really picking nitpicking here because Jalen Johnson, fabulous corner, you know, Desmond Trufant's not the guy, but you know, as a secondary player, sure. Um, he, he can be that dude, you know, but I, I just, I just look at that roster up and down, and there is depth there. You know, um, you'd like to see a little, a few more offensive pieces. Um, but I mean, I think when you're rolling with again, Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, David Montgomery, you could do a hell of a lot worse, man. So, um, and I think Cole Komet actually can can take a step forward this year too at the tight end position. But yeah, man, um, I think the Bear, the Bears absolutely should be fighting for a playoff spot. And, and again, this is a team that you know again should probably win you know, double-digit games with a 17-game slate. James Cole, our guest from NFL Direct TV. We've got Mac Jones as well, who's a player that a lot of people in, in New England and Patriots fans all across North America are, are looking at as the new guy under center. When you look at him and, and the Patriots uh, situation in general, do you see him as a player that's going to slot in and, and make a real difference for the Pats? Um. You know, what's, you know what's interesting there is that Cam Newton, for, for the most part, is like, I don't know, considered like the boring player because we saw him in New England last year. And the shoulder injuries, the ailments, like the mechanics are just all off. And I, I just feel like the injury has taken its toll. You know, he's just not the same player uh, from a health perspective that he was. Um, you know, can he stay loose and healthy early on? Maybe. Uh, but I, I just feel like more people are intrigued by Mac Jones because we haven't seen it, and it's not the same old boring, really boring offense that we saw last year. Actually, as a matter of fact, over the last four years, which is why Tom Brady left and went down south to Tampa Bay, right? Uh, but, yeah, no, look, Mac Jones at least presents upside uh, because, you know, as a pocket passer, I think right now at this point in their respective careers, as crazy as it is because we're talking about a former MVP, Mac Jones is at least more intriguing as a pocket passer than Cam Newton and, and that bulky shoulder. We're kind of going through quarterbacks that were drafted this past year. So I want to ask about another one. Does Zach Wilson inspire you at all with the Jets? Do you think he's the guy that's going to help turn that franchise around? I, a little bit of a hot take for me, man, but I, I just get too many Jameis Winston vibes 
um, on the field from Zach Wilson. Like, this is a man that's way too willing to, to risk it all. Um, he's throwing it – like, when you look – turn on his BYU tape, it's like, how many balls is he throwing up into double coverage and just asking his guys to go get it? In a way, I guess it can work. Um, you know, he's got – Two, maybe three really good wide receivers. I love, I freaking love Elijah Moore. I'll tell you that. And I think Corey Davis is a smart addition as well. But um, Zach Wilson to me, man, like he just looks like a guy that's a little too loose with the football. Um, and, and when those, and when you're talking about a defensive minded coach like Robert Silent is, I, those two things don't go together. You know what I mean? Like this is not going to be a wide open offense. This is going to be, you know, defense first, run the football, try to be more conservative. Keep the games tight. I don't know if Zach Wilson's that guy. And I, I, I kind of sort of think I'm really interested, like, why did the Jets go with Zach Wilson here? Because he doesn't seem like a schematic fit with what Robert Sauer wants to do. So I, I was just confused by the pick, um, and I don't think it's going to go that well for New York, no. Well, you mentioned uh, Jameis Winston. I love watching Winston play. It's never a dull moment when he's on the field. Never. It's never a dull moment when he's on the field. But So when you, when you watch this New Orleans Saints team next year, what are you expecting from them at the quarterback position? How much, of a, uh, how much are we going to see Taysom Hill? Is it going to be anything at all? Is it mostly going to be Jameis Winston? What do you expect? Brother, you know what they should do in, down there in New Orleans? They should just give the old ball coach a, a call. Like, give Steve Spurrier a call and just run that full-on two-quarterback system um, and just really mess with all the fantasy minds out there. You know what I mean? Like, all the fantasy heads would be losing it if they called up Steve Spurrier. But I, I just kind of sort of think, like, I love Sean Payton, one of the, one of the best, you know, creative minds in, in all football history. Um, I feel like he's going to get the job done. Um, that being said, if you were to ask me, you look at the skill sets, I kind of sort of feel like Jameis is going to be the between-the-20s guy, and then when they get down into the red zone, they really can't risk those turnovers, right? And, like, at this point in, this career, in, in his career, we know what Jameis is, and, and that is somebody who is very prone to turnovers, you know? Um, can he air it out? Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, when he is on, my God, he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league but he is also prone to a lot of really bad turnovers. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints kind of go with the quarterback, two-quarterback system. Uh, maybe if they're behind, they throw in Jameis. Maybe if they're ahead, they throw in Taysom Hill. Uh, but I, think, I do think once they get close, I think we're going to see a lot of Taysom Hill, yeah. James Cole, really appreciate your time. Love the insight. Love the energy, man. Let's do it again very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. 100%. Anytime, guys. Great talking to you. That is James Coe from NFL Direct TV, NFL fantasy analyst as well. Love, love his insight. Always great talking to him. Such a smart football mind, and, and that was a great conversation, Josh. Uh, just going through all the storylines, I guess, that are happening across uh, the NFL. And look, nothing, as we mentioned off the top of the show, like when, when November, or, or I guess when football season starts, obviously prior to that, but when hockey season's on, when when Football season is on. Nothing makes me happier. Like, I, I just cannot wait for the beginning of fall. Yeah, I, I'm so hyped. Every year around this time, it just seems to – time goes slower because I'm waiting specifically for NFL season to start. And as a Vikings fan, this might not be a great year for me. Uh, we were just talking to James about it. I mean, the Bears are coming out of nowhere. Well, not out of nowhere. They've well. been good. But if Justin Fields works out, they're going to be good for a while the Packers are the Packers. They're so they're the worst, but they're they're really good at football. Uh, and the Vikings just seem to be shooting themselves in the foot. They are definitely 
not shooting themselves in the arm, which would be very ideal. Yeah. Kirk Cousins doesn't want to do that, and he's making I see life, life real tough. Right. But that being said, it there's going to be a lot of fun storylines around the league this season. How about my Chargers? Oh, I see. Here's the thing with the Chargers for me is like everybody's kind of banking on Herbert to continue what he's doing. I'm worried about a bounce back or uh, uh, not a bounce a back. Sophomore a sophomore slump. A sophomore slump. Like yes. for me, I'm I'm just I am just scared of any injuries that come towards the L.A. Chargers because they have had such bad luck on the injury front, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We'll see what happens with Derwin James. They obviously did a lot to impact their offensive line this year. I I, I really like where this team can go. I'm hoping that they can get into the playoffs. But their schedule is going to be a little tough, but let's see what they can do. I really do think that they have a lot of potential to to really turn things around. And, hey, Herbert was great last year, man. I, I love the offensive potential that this team has they obviously showed it last year um, again it comes down to injuries if this team can stay healthy and if they could uh if they can ultimately be a better defensive unit than they were last year because uh, there was a lot of talk last year about them being probably arguably the, the the best secondary perhaps in the entire national football league and they didn't really live up to that so you know we'll see what happens because uh, this is a team that obviously i uh i i look forward to watching for, for a very long time, Josh. It's tough, too, because they could be awesome this year, and they still might not make the playoffs because they play in a division with Patrick Mahomes. Yes. And exactly. that's going to be a thing for the – it's like any team that played in the Patriots division just weren't right. going to make the playoffs. Very or true. at least we're going to have a very uphill battle and had to get in a wild card. Exactly. Roger Shurgill at his Josh Elliott Wolf Sportsnet tonight – continues here on the official home of the Canucks Sports at 650. The 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, we asked you where you would like to see some outdoor games um, or maybe not even outdoor necessarily, just different venues. You know, venues that aren't typical to to whatever sport that you're watching. And uh, Zach, the Luke Shen fan texting in. He's hey, probably super happy right now. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, apparently we've got a lot of Luke Shen love here in Vancouver. Uh would be cool to would be cool to see a street series in the NBA, even if they're using hardwood that looks like the street. Not sure how an outdoor NFL game would look unless it was totally neutral site like BC Place or a big college stadium. Uh would love to see NHL on real ice, like in the mountains, like everybody else wants to see. Totally agree with the mountains aspect. You're right, NFL's a little tough. I, I struggled I, to think of for, any any good venue for the NFL. I think the NFL one, like, it, it has to be Canton, Ohio, and it has to be where the Hall of Fame game probably happens. But, like, that's the Hall of Fame game, and, and that's the preseason opener, right? That's the classic game that you have in August. But it's not, like, blown up to be this sort of massive, uh, you know, big game that everybody sort of watches. You know what I mean? So, like, that's the thing. I guess they have that to a degree in the National Football League. It's just not the same as the National Hockey League and now in MLB. The other thing that I guess, I guess every sports league does have this. And for basketball, it's probably Christmas Day, right? Like, it's the games that are, they look the same. But other than that, it's it's just on a day where 
all of the top teams are playing and everybody just sort of sits around and, and watches basketball. So to a degree, but you're right, the the street aspect for basketball, just to, just taking the game to its like natural element would, would be great. Definitely, yeah. And it would be the same idea, I guess, that hockey has. And, and baseball, I guess, was a little bit different because yeah. it wasn't necessarily bringing back to anything. It was just based on a movie. And I guess it was a little right. old-fashioned. But, yeah, it'd pretty much be the same as hockey where it's like, hey, people used to do this. With basketball, they still do. Yeah. So let's do that on a professional level. Yeah. Basketball, like, just bring the game back to Canada. That would be nice. That would be nice. Just playing Rogers Arena for, I don't know, like 41 games a year. Exactly. That that would be taking the games to its roots. Almonte, Ontario. That's where James Naismith was born. So that's where we can play some NBA action. Maybe set up a street street basketball. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. Probably. Cross that bridge when we get there. Vancouver Canucks talk coming up on the other side. Uh, the Canucks, obviously, a very uh, intriguing season next year from the offensive output. Looks good. Defensive, uh, some question marks or a lot of question marks. But which Canuck is going to have uh, the best impact this year on, I guess, I guess on how the newest additions are coming over to this team. How are they going to fit into the system and, and who is really going to benefit the most from those new additions? We'll talk about that coming up on the other side. It's Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf. You're listening to the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Dickinson's got a new deal and Votto hits a milestone. I'm Justin Morissette with your Sportsnet Central Update. Let's get started on the ice where the Vancouver Canucks locked up center Jason Dickinson to a new three-year deal over the weekend. Dickinson came to Vancouver by way of a trade from the Dallas Stars for a third-round pick ahead of the Seattle expansion draft and told the People's Show on Sportsnet 650 that, yes, the Stars made a surprise trip to the Stanley Cup final two seasons ago, but this past year was a tough one for the club, and he's excited to be with a team that has big ambitions for this season. They're all, you know, talking to management, uh, coaching, like, this isn't a team that's like, oh, we're trying to find our way. This, it's go time, you know. Like, we want to be a playoff team every year and contenders. Um, and that's what's uh, so exciting is, you know, you bring in guys like Edmund Larson, you bring in Garland, like serious guys that are getting close to that roster. Uh, so it's it's really promising. Dickinson set to make $2.65 million a season for the next three years. Elsewhere on the ice, the Western Hockey League announcing today that it's imposed a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy for the coming season. All WHL players, team staff, league office personnel, and on-ice officials must be vaccinated at least two weeks prior to the start of the 2021-22 season, which kicks off on Friday, October 1st. On the diamond, the Cincinnati Reds clobbered the Chicago Cubs 14-5 tonight, and it was a good night for Reds' first baseman Joey Votto, the Canadian slugger with three hits. He batted in a run and scored one of his own, but most importantly, he came away with the 2,000th hit of his MLB career. He's just the second Canadian in history to cross the 2,000th hit mark and is the only player to have made his MLB debut in the 21st century with 2,000 hits and a 400 career on-base percentage. And the Field of Dreams game was such success last week that MLB announced they're going back to an Iowa cornfield next year with the Reds and Cubs. United by Sport Time now to get you back to more Sportsnet tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott Wolf on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 
CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. Listen live at sportsnet.ca slash 650 through the Sportsnet app or the Radio Player Canada app. Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Final hour of the show. Welcome back. Sportsnet Tonight. Sportsnet 650. The official home of your Vancouver Canucks. Raja Shergill with you. Josh Elliott-Wolf alongside me. The two guys with probably the worst jersey collection in this building, Josh. Isn't that right? Worst or best. <laughs> I don't know about you. I know you've got a very bad one. You might have the worst jersey in this building. But Specifically I don't know if, jersey. Yes, but I don't know if your collection as a whole is bad. But if the listeners don't know, your jersey is uh, a number 21 Boston Bruins Louis Erickson jersey. Yeah, it's the worst. Uh, but no, What are you thinking? So here, here's... When I was collecting jerseys, I don't really do it much anymore because working in media, it's kind of hard to collect jerseys just because, I don't know, I always feel bad for some reason. Um, but anyway, I would collect a bunch of jerseys, and I my goal was to get one from every NHL team. And my plan was to get a former Vancouver Canucks player on that team's jersey. So, for example, I have a Rangers jersey with... Marcus Naslund on it. I have a Islanders jersey with Trevor Linden. Ah. And so when I got the Bruins one, I was like, okay, what do, who do I get on? And I ended up just like, I didn't want to own a Bruins jersey, but I had to for the collection. And so I'm like, okay, I just got to lean into it and get a player that nobody likes on a team that nobody likes. So I got Erickson. I see. So at this point, was Erickson like, did he have, did he have just signed? Was there still hype around Erickson? No, or? this was two oh, or three years. Oh, in. okay, <laughs> okay, right in the middle of the contract. Yeah, no, I thought it'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, how how many jerseys deep are you? Then are you close to finishing your collection? Or uh, I haven't. I don't think I've bought a jersey probably in at least a year or two. Uh, but I believe I was okay. So I wanted one for every team, but also I wanted to get each iteration of the Vancouver Canucks jerseys home and away right so i think combined i was somewhere between 20 to 25 but for that specific collection of each jersey for each nhl team i was probably around 10 to 15 ah, so you've still got 50 percent of the way to go at least yeah. yeah it's gonna be a minute yeah uh so i i just picked up so by the way i i don't know if this is worse or not but i've got a dion Phaneuf toronto maple leafs jersey it's randeep janda's favorite story to bring up about me um Loves pointing it out, the fact that I have one. Yes, I do. Um, I was like 14 years old. Give me a break. It was a cool jersey. Thought I would get it. It will happen to be on the sale rack, all right? It I, worked out. Uh, yeah, hey, I, I wanted it. I got it. Uh, I also have a bunch of Vancouver Canucks ones. Um, uh, I've got a, a an Ottawa Senators one, Dallas Stars jersey, Calgary Flames with Blasty on it jersey. Uh, and even the Dallas Stars one, like it's not the nice old green one with like the you know the the star sort of pattern. It's right. it's the black. It's like the one they wore in two thousand nine ten. It's all black and all it just says is Dallas. And then it has like 
they had the numbers the number underneath on the, the front. Yeah, yeah. That was, was a weird time. The NHL for like a few years was like, hey, let's put numbers on the front. Yeah, That'd be sick. Because, yeah, I remember like the Buffalo Sabres came out with the numbers on the shoulders, uh, yeah. on, on the chest, sorry. Like, it was a weird time for Jersey. Atlanta did it too, I yes, think. Yes, they did. Yeah, very true. It was a, a really weird, unique time as NHL was experimenting with these jerseys. A lot better now. Uh, but but I have that jersey for some reason. So my collection isn't great. But over the weekend, I was able to get myself a pretty nice one, I thought. It's something that I wanted for a long time. Uh, it was the 2004 NHL All-Star Game jersey, captained by the Vancouver Canucks captain at the time, Marcus Nasland. So there's the C on it. It's, it's beautiful. It's like forest green. And Naslin also wore number 91, which which was even cooler to me because I think 91 is an awesome number. Uh, and 19 is a great number too, don't get me wrong. But like just, t- you know, how often do you see Marcus Naslin 19 on the back of jerseys? This one is different number. I thought it was great. So I picked it up and it's on my Twitter feed, at share underscore And like for me, it's it, it makes my collection look a little bit nicer at least. That's probably, I would say, the... If not the best all-star jersey. Yes. At least top three. Must be. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm not a big fan of the the new ones. Like, I just don't think that they're great. <laughs> they always go a little too weird with them. Lately, they have been. Uh, you know, there was they're kind of all starting to blend together now. But I know the last few years, I haven't really liked them. I, I did enjoy the ones, I think, from a couple of years ago where it was like each team's individual logo. But the the jersey itself was sort of the same. But the yeah, logo so they had like the like I think you, I have one of them. They had like the they were black and white, and then right. they just had the team logo on. Yeah, they, they weren't terrible. San but, Jose, I believe. Yes, yes, you're right. And see, like, but other than that, like there was one where they had like some yellow, and it wasn't a big fan of the All Star Game jerseys. But back in the day, when the Western team were blue and the Eastern team were red, loved those. Um, and, and the reason why the Western jersey, the one that I have for Naslin, is green is because it was in Minnesota that year. So right. they were playing to the, the theme of the Wild, uh, which had obviously just recently come to the NHL. Uh, so, you know, when when it comes to all this jersey talk, um, Vancouver Canucks have a, a bunch of players that are coming into New Jersey this year. Jason Dickinson, by the way, in this interview on Sports 650 just a couple of hours ago with Randy Pjanda, Dan Riccio of the People's Show, broke some news in case anybody missed it. Um, he will be wearing number 18 for the Vancouver Canucks. Steve Bernier's old number 18. Yep. Yep. That's the only player that wore That's it. Steve Bernier's old number 18. Good Good grab there. Since yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so Jason Dickinson's going to be wearing number eighteen, and that and that's the kind of guy, or that is the player I think that a lot of people look at, um, and, and not necessarily Dickinson as a whole, but the position that he's going to fill on this roster for the Canucks is is the spot that I think a lot of people look at. That's going to round out the entire forward group, right? And obviously the Canucks were able to bring in Connor Garland, and that really does a good job of of making their top six. Fantastic in a from an offensive production as well, but when it comes to the changes that are being made to this Vancouver Canucks forward group, who are the players that we look at that are going to benefit the most from this? So for me, there's there's a few, namely and probably the biggest one, and everyone has been talking about this impact is Bo Horvat, and for the longest time, people in Vancouver have been trying to make Bo Horvat a defensive two-way forward that he just isn't. And that's okay. He's a really good 
offensive power forward in my mind. Yeah, he gets overrated a little bit, I think, in his defensive game. Yeah. But listen, like in the last year, year and a half, he's been better at it. I think in the bubble he was good at it. Mm -hmm. But overall, you're right. I think that some people think that he's a, a defensive specialist, but his offensive game, in my eyes, is is much better, or there's still so much more untapped potential there instead of his defensive game. His most useful asset to me is his shot. Right. And it, if they can have Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat in the offensive zone more often, that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. And Jason Dickinson is the ideal person to free up Bo Horvat for that. Because Dickinson, like, he might get 20 points. If he's lucky, he would get 30 points. And that's okay. That's what he came in here to do. He's not getting paid a significant amount to do much more than that. And that's why his contract's pretty pretty ideal. It's exactly what you would expect for a third-line defensive specialist. And that's why you went out and got him, because you knew that the job that you're bringing him in for, he's very much capable of doing. And, and if, hey, if he gets you the, the 25, 30 points that you mentioned, an even bigger win. Yeah. And so when you bring in Dickinson, that frees up Horvat, but also... I think it pushes players, and this comes with the Garland acquisition as well, it pushes players more into their defined roles. So for Tanner Pearson, I know we just got that $3 million contract. People aren't too super excited about it, but it's whatever for now. We'll have to wait and see how it turns out. But that pushes him down to the third line because Connor Garland is definitely going to be a top six forward for this team, and Pearson usually plays mm -hmm. on the left side. So... That pushes Pearson down to the third line where he can also be a bit more of a defensive specialist along with Jason Dickinson. And that's kind of where Pearson, like he he puts up 30 to 40, 40 points in a year, but he's not, he's not necessarily a big offensive guy at this point in his career. So if you can shift him more defensively, that's going to help you out in the long run. I, I do think Tanner Pearson is, and you're right, he's not – He's not necessarily an offensive guy in the sense that he is going to drive a line's offense for you. Like, you definitely need a player like Bo Horvat or somebody next to Tanner Pearson because, look, just a couple of years ago, he, he was definitely going to hit the 50-point plateau uh, if it wasn't for... Uh, if it wasn't for COVID-19, he would have definitely gotten to 50 points, and we were talking about how great of a season that Tanner Pearson had. You don't become a 50-point goal, 50-point guy or a 25-goal scorer just because you have no offensive ability and the guy that you're playing with at center has this great playmaking ability. Like, that's, that's not how it happens. I think Pearson, he's got a heavy shot. He, he's able to create plays in the offensive zone. He's a good passer he's got great vision I think or he's got underrated vision I don't know about great vision but he's he's got the tools needed in his toolbox to play in an offensive role and I think that's what's so great about him that he's pretty versatile you can play him up and down the lineup which is why third line seems ideal but a lot of people and, and rightfully so are talking about this third line with with Jason Dickinson, Tanner Pearson, and, and potentially a player like Vasily Podkolzin, that's going to be the thorn on the side of a lot of other teams. They're going to shut down the teams, drive them crazy, play physical, piss them off, give them a little face wash, whatever it might be, and, and just wear them down and, and prevent goals, obviously, in the meantime. But also, I, I think with Tanner Pearson and, and maybe even Vasily Podkolzin, because you don't draft a guy 10th overall uh, just for his defensive game. Right? There's obviously 
a lot of room to grow offensively for Pod Colson too, and a lot of play- people here in Vancouver are excited to see that potential. I-, I think that there might be a little bit more offensive output out of this third line. And a lot of the time, it- that starts from center, but from the Canucks on this third line, I feel like it's going to start from the wing because you've got Tanner Pearson, who, as I mentioned, has a little bit of that ability to create offense himself. Maybe on a line with defensive players, he's not going to be able to go out there and get you 40 points or 20 goals, but can he help alongside Vasily Podkolzin? Or maybe it is even Tyler Mott, who who I've also mentioned on this show, that has more offense to give. Could they together, collectively as a unit, pick this offense up and maybe get them to the 30-point mark. Maybe it's 15 goals. I think a lot of people are sort of dismissing this option that the Canucks have to be a team that has three scoring lines. You know, obviously on paper, maybe you look at it as a top six, bottom six model, but I do think that there is opportunity here for this Canucks team to really add scoring throughout their lineup. Yeah, and Pod Colson to me is somebody that's going to come in and he's going to turn heads. I don't think he's going to be... Patterson or Hughes level of amazing talent and undeniably a Calder nominee, but I do think he's going to be Hoaglander level where you're like, man, this guy's an NHL level contributor that deserves a role yeah. in the top six. Isn't it amazing? Like, we have been spoiled in Vancouver by getting Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes back-to-back-to-back years with, with Calder Trophy nominations and, and two of them winning it. And, and then, then Hoaglander the, last year. Then you get Hoaglander, yeah. who who has a, a very fine season. And, you know, if you never had players like Pedersen and Brock Besser and Hughes come in, you would be looking at that campaign and being like, holy crap, like, that's a good rookie that you can work with. I and mean, same thing with Jack Rathbone, right? Like, he showed glimpses of being a very reliable, everyday NHLer. And, and so, like, we've been spoiled in Vancouver where we kind of looked at Hoaglander to – like in a different view almost like oh wow like he's not as good as those guys but maybe he can be an ideal third line third liner for you like no I, I do think that that Hoaglander has got this potential of being a, an everyday top six player where he's able to put in 20 to 25 goals for your squad it's just that he's taking a more conventional route to get there we just haven't seen that conventional route in so long so yeah like when it comes to pot goals and you're right it might it might be this slow burn process with him but hey so much of his game already seems to be rounded out from a defensive point of view from a physical point of view he's been NHL ready quote-unquote for the last two years like this is a player that I think can come in and and definitely make a even bigger impact than than Hoaglander and maybe that's wishful thinking because Hoaglander was really good last year ideally ideally and look, I think I'm falling into the same trap again because ideally you you could have a 40-point campaign from Elias Pedersen in his rookie year and you'd be like, this is a team that has the potential to be really good. With Elias Pedersen, maybe in his second year he can put up 60 points. And then all of a sudden Pedersen was going to hit the 70-point mark in his, in his rookie year, in his rookie campaign. And you're like, we here in Vancouver have the opportunity to see a potential superstar in a franchise center iceman. And so now you've got these other players that are kind of come in and supplement them. This forward group, Josh, is is looking like it's got potential not only from the defensive side, but the offensive side as well, not just the top six. Definitely. And, look, I'm a big – I know we're on opposite sides of this. I'm a big 
analytics guy, and usually before I say anything about a player, I, I look up, I look at their charts, right? And that doesn't mean I believe a hundred percent that it's a hundred percent accurate, and that's the only thing I can go off of. You're dead to me. <laughs> yeah, but that being said, I, I I put a lot of faith into it. And when you look at Niels Hoaglander's numbers last year, they were off the charts. They were amazing for a conventional rookie. But to your point, Pedersen and Hughes weren't conventional rookies. They were franchise changing players. Mm-hmm. And so if Vasily Podkolzin can come in and if he's better than Niels Hoaglander, this franchise is in such a great position. And if he even is, if he's just equal to Niels Hoaglander, you have so much depth in your top nine that it's just, it it's, it's really crazy to see where this team has come from in the last five or so years to where they are now. And so if Pod Colson does come in and he performs to a Hoaglander level, that also gives you a lot of versatility and Travis Green, a lot of versatility in how he organizes his lineups. And look, maybe, maybe JT Miller is having an off night and you slide Hoaglander up to the top line put Miller down to the third with Dickinson and Pearson and push Pod Colson up, and you have options now. And that's yeah. kind of what the Canucks have been missing for a while. And you can't discount the the opportunity here to not only, you know, JT Miller doesn't just have to come down a wing. JT Miller can go diagonally and play center. Jason Dickinson go can go uh, left to right and play either wing. He has that versatility in his game. And Jim Benning has mentioned that time and time again that Travis Green now has the versatility to play Dickinson in the top six if he even wants to on the wing. He can play him on the fourth line on the wing if he chooses to or whatever it might be. You just have this flexibility with guys like Miller that have the oppor- that have the capability to play up the middle, play on the wing, and you've got that throughout your lineup now. So it's definitely, uh, you know, a positive for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Peter from Vancouver saying, uh, of the new players who will have the biggest impact this season, my guess is Oliver ekman Larson, since he will most likely get the most ice time. But that doesn't necessarily mean a positive impact. So the old Tyler Myers. <laughs> so, <laughs> well... I don't know, Peter. I don't think that Peter was listening to the conversation that we had off the top of the show, where we sort of ranked the defenses in the you know Pacific Division. And and Josh, I think I'm a little bit higher on the Vancouver Canucks blue line than you are. But sure, Peter, maybe you're right. Maybe the Canucks defense, especially Oliver Ekman Larson, doesn't have a good doesn't have a good year. But I don't think that. Oliver Ekman Larson needs to return to superstar, all-star form for him to make a positive impact on the Vancouver Canucks. The contract of $7.25 million or whatever it is, is, is a little tough to live up to. It's very tough to live up to. And is it an overpay? Sure. And is it going to be the whole Tyler Myers uh, conversation that we have that he gets paid too much? The same conversation that we've had with Brandon Sutter that he gets paid too much, but he does well? Maybe. But essentially, this is a guy that I think overall bolsters your blue line as a whole. And and maybe I can be completely wrong on that. But guess what? So can Peter. So can everybody else that's been crapping all over Oliver Ekman Larson. In my eyes, Josh, this is a blue line that obviously needs to do a a lot of improving from last year because it was a disaster. But I don't think that they have shot themselves in the foot necessarily by adding a player like Oliver Ekman Larson. No, definitely not. And I think people forget the quality of player that was 
that was playing on the Canucks defense. That's last right. Year. Yeah, it was not good. And look, Oliver Ekman Larson is overpaid and he is probably not going to be the guy that he was. I do think, though, that there is something to be said about him playing in Arizona and playing under Rick Tockett. And that can be a really stifling place. And I don't know if he's going to all of a sudden be good defensively, because like I said earlier, he was never really good defensively. He was he was adequate, but he was never amazing. But that being said, if he can even revert back a little bit to what he was offensively, that's going to be big. And look, I know the Canucks don't really need more offensive defensemen, but at this point, you kind of got to take what value you can get from the players that are in your lineup. And maybe Ekman Larson is a 30-40 point defenseman this year, and he ends up being paired with Tucker Poolman, who surprises us all, and he's a very decent defensive defenseman. But there's a lot of, like, the Canucks also have a new defensive coach in Brad Shaw, and maybe yeah. he changes a lot, and all of a sudden, some players that were underperforming now know what they are supposed to do. So there's a lot of question marks that need to be answered. Ekman Larson is obviously the biggest one, but it, it it's I hate to say it, but we're going to have to wait and see. I don't know how... I like, I just don't get and, and listen I get it that it's it's Vancouver and there's a lot of question marks as to what exactly is going to happen and 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 when it, when question marks happen I think inevitably that kind of results in negativity especially in the last 7 years um but with Tucker Pullman I think and, and same thing with Oliver Ekman Larson people have written him off and both of them off before they even stepped in Vancouver. I have seen people, and and Josh, this comes from your people, analytics guys. Come on. Those aren't my people. I just <laughs> support them. They uh, People saying, and not just analytics guys, I'm kidding, but people in general that have watched hockey for a long time have called guys like him, Tucker Pullman I'm talking about, an AHL caliber defenseman. Like, that to me is crazy. Uh, you know, and, and the, the, the term... People don't like the term, but if have you seen the market for defensemen in general, let alone right-handed shot defensemen? And look, maybe the Canucks struck out big time, and maybe the Canucks are going to come into this offseason and, and have it, come into this regular season and just not be able to keep up from the defensive point of view just like last year. But to write a player off before they've even stepped foot on your, on your team, to me, is a little crazy, especially when a guy, especially... When a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson that has had so much success in the past, I just don't think that the drop off is is as severe as some people might make it out to be. So it's been a while since we've been on air, um, and yeah, I know we just talked about Ekman Larson, but with Poolman as well, I my only issue, like I'm okay with the money, I'm okay with two point five because you're right, this was a crazy market for right shot defensemen specifically this year. My only issue is the term. Like, four years to me is just a little bit too long. Yeah. And I don't know if there was a team out there that was also offering four years at 2.5. No, but obviously, like, if the market... I don't think Jim Benning is just handing out four, four years at the first negotiation that they have. Like, this has got to be where the market's crazy and maybe they've struck out on other players that they were looking at and now they are in desperation mode to get somebody because other if they don't, then who knows? And maybe they give them a little couple extra hundred thousand and they add on the extra year to to really secure the package 
I, I, I agree that there's not a package like that that the Canucks gave for Pullman, but if there's one that was decently close, like there are people legitimately making the argument that Pullman is a $700,000 defenseman that should be in the American Hockey League. It's crazy to me that that's even a, a legitimate argument to be made. No team is overpaying somebody by two and a half, two point three million dollars extra and four years extra if they are that bad of a defenseman that some people are calling them. Like that's legitimately crazy. It's you know I, I just don't think that. Sure, the term talk say whatever you want about the term, but in general, I just don't think that the Canucks on on paper are necessarily going to be, the blue line, I should say, is necessarily going to be as bad as some people are making it out to be. Maybe I'll be completely wrong and, and we can come back to this in January and, and replay the tape and call me an idiot, which is very likely to also be the case. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, more Vancouver Canucks talk on the other side. It is Roger Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf on the official of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. to Sportsnet Tonight with Raja Shergill and Josh Elliott-Wolf. Now here are your hosts, Raja and Josh. Sportsnet Tonight, final segment of the show. Raja Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf with you. Welcome in. Thanks so much for giving us some time. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Really appreciate all of the interaction that you guys have given us. Peter saying... I wasn't crapping on OEL at all. I was stating that he's going to get huge ice time and that will result in having the biggest impact. And it may or may not be positive impact. How is that being a negative Canucks follower? It is reality. That's Peter. He's yelling at me. Sorry, Peter. I didn't mean to say that you're crapping on OEL. I just mean that a lot of the people that do mention OEL happen to bring it up in a very negative light. And you're right. You're very right that it could be uh, in a positive point of view it could be from a negative point of view um and i'm not saying that it's going to be one or the other i just think that it's one of those things that people seem to have their mind set on it's going to be negative or it's going to be positive and i feel like the negative crowd is a little bit louder or a lot louder than than the crowd that is you know saying that things are going to be all well in Canuckland. yeah that's kind of the norm anywhere I think for anything the negative the people that are firmly on a negative side and have information to back it up I guess are are gonna be a lot louder and and that's just how things go and I don't think we can really fault anybody for it Roger Shogil Josh Elliott Wolf Sportsnet 650 Sportsnet tonight Cincinnati Reds Joey Votto becoming the Second Canadian in Major League Baseball, Josh, to hit 2,000, to reach 2,000 hits. That's a lot of hits. That is a lot of hits. That's one more than 1,999, <laughs> which is also very impressive. Yeah, very. Uh, and I think I think baseball has been at the top of the conversation for us here at Sportsnet 650 and, and pretty much everybody talking about, you know, in, in the world of sports, there's obviously not a whole lot going on. But at the same time, the Blue Jays have been very intriguing and very fun to watch for pretty much the entire season uh, until the last week. Just forget about that. It's been rough. Yeah, they went into L.A., split the series, which 
is tough. I mean, hey, Shohei Otani yeah. started one of the games, and he is still Shohei Otani. So it's it's tough to win, but it you probably should have walked away with three out of four. And then Seattle, look, I know there's a lot of Mar- Mariners fans in the lower mainland. They're a fun team that's definitely punching above their weight class right now, but the Jays probably should have taken two out of three. Have the Jays been – I don't know if this is a good way to, to put it, but have they been, like, procrastinating a little bit throughout the season where you, you thought that they would hopefully be a sure thing to get into the playoffs? Maybe not a sure thing, but a, a team that you would have expected to – get in almost undoubtedly, I guess. I mean, I, I wouldn't say so. I, I mean, like, there there are a few surprises in the American League so far this year. I mean, specifically Boston was not supposed to be as good as they were. So I guess you could say, hey, the AL East is probably going to have Tampa, the Yankees, and the Jays all kind of battling, and maybe – all three of them make the playoffs and take both wild card spots. But yeah, it, the Jays to me are around where they should be record wise. It's just that other teams are overperforming where I thought they would be. The last week for Toronto has, has kind of put a, a, a negative outlook, I think on, on what has been a, an overall very positive season. And obviously they have lost a lot of games due to that bullpen, and their arms have, have, have not helped them very much throughout this entire season. Sitting four and a half games back, the Yankees are at two games back. When you look at Toronto, Josh, is, is there a, a sense of optimism for you going into the next 45 or so remaining games? Because the next stretch is going to be very difficult. Maybe not coming up in the next handful of weeks, but... They've got the Oakland A's on the horizon. They've got the Yankees coming up as well. It's going to be a very stressful couple of weeks for Jays fans. For sure. And and just to, to mention, so Oakland and the Yankees played today, not against each other, just in their own games. Red Sox did not play. So Yankees won. They are now two back of Oakland, and the Athletics lost. So technically, the Jays make up half a game today. They're four back of Oakland for the second wildcard spot. But yeah, so as far as the schedule goes, 11 of their next 15 games are against the Washington Nationals, who sold at the deadline. They're not all that great right now. Then they play the Detroit Tigers for, I I believe they have six or seven games against the Tigers, and they've struggled as well. And then the Orioles, who have lost 12 in a row. So these are games where out of those 11 games, you probably need to win seven or eight at least. And it's very realistic that they could do that. But then, yeah, to your point after that, they play the uh, Oakland A's for three games and then the Yankees for four. Mm -hmm. So if they can go into those seven games, maybe one to two games back of that second wildcard spot, they're in a pretty good position because they can easily leapfrog by playing those teams they're chasing, but also they could easily just fall by the wayside if those series don't go well. I think people have liked the way that Jordan Romano has played this season. Is there a another opportunity, the question, however, is to get some sort of help within that bullpen? And I think a lot of people are looking at Nate Pearson. Yeah, Nate Pearson, Julian Merriweather, there was a little bit to talk about him as well. Of Maybe he comes back. Maybe his injury, mm-hmm. he's recovering from it. But it's still hard to tell. But, yeah, if Nate Pearson 
can come in and he can be I, I believe Aaron Sanchez did a similar role back in 2015 where he wasn't a starter yet, but he was a really up-and-coming guy, and he came in for one inning most games and just dominated. And Nate Pearson has that skill set too where he, he can throw 100 miles per hour and also have some secondary pitches to put guys away. And so if he can come in, pitch one or two innings, and kind of bridge the gap from starter to bullpen or starter to Romano, sorry, that's going to be really huge for the Jays if they if they want to make up the ground that they've kind of lost in this wild card race. Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. Blue Jays postseason push continues. Uh, a lot of the games, obviously, are going to be coming down to the wire, as you mentioned it, in the next couple of weeks' time after they get past this 14-15 game schedule that they've got. Uh, against teams that uh, ultimately they should have the victories against. Um, Josh, we were kind of talking about this earlier. Um, or Sorry, we weren't talking about this earlier, but I, w- I wanted to get to this earlier. Um, the National Football League, and, and just sort of sports in general, vaccination rates are going to be a, a massive impact for next year. And look, the Atlanta Falcons, I don't know if you got this earlier, but they're fully 100% vaccinated. That's crazy. And it's it's such a crazy thing to happen that we're like celebrating this, but the NFL has, has been at the forefront of incentivizing vaccines or teams that aren't vaccinated. They've done it the right way, in my opinion. And look, there's teams that are around the NFL, kind of like the one that you cheer for, that aren't getting the jabs that they should be. And look, is is the salary that they're owed, the money that they're paid, the players that don't get vaccinated that are, you know, going to be missing games or or whatever have you, they might forfeit a little bit of their paycheck. Like, these are ways that the NFL is sort of incentivizing this, and it seems like it's actually working because a lot of the teams, a lot of the players are starting to get this vaccine, and we see the Oakland Raiders today come out with the, the, with the Vegas same, Raiders. The Vegas Raiders, right? Coming, we were just talking about Oakland, uh, coming out with saying that uh, in order to get into their building, that you will need to be fully vaccinated, and the Western Hockey League are going to be fully vaccinated. So a lot of these sports leagues and teams individually, and we're going to start to see this a little bit here locally as well, the Vancouver Canucks and the Abbotsford Canucks, uh, that they will require a full vaccine in in order to get into the building. And I think that the the thing that really makes me feel great about all of this, aside from the fact that there's obviously a vaccine and everybody's healthy, that's obviously great, is the fact that next year, starting in September, we're going to be seeing sports games actually look like sports games again, right? Like, sure, last season there was fans in the stands in a lot of different sports uh, cities and teams, but it wasn't normal. It wasn't the exact same. It's going to start feeling a lot more normal coming up this year, and from a sports fan watching perspective it feels great it, it does it feels awesome to see and, and look anytime you watch baseball now it seems like it's all back to normal especially when the jays returned back home to toronto it was amazing to see the run that they went on and how much the fans really propelled them like all of that atmosphere is coming back and i'm not sure i'm ready for it like it's something that has has been away from us as sporting as sports fans for so long but now we get to watch it and and sort of come back to this 
idea of going on road trips and watching sports games in this venue that you haven't been in in a long time. Like, it just feels like things are getting back to normal. And, and for us, obviously, sports are the pinnacle of that. Definitely. And, and obviously, a lot of people in this city want to go to Canucks games and maybe a BC Lions game. I know they're they're opening up as well. I don't know how many people want to go to BC Lions games. Uh, but the Vancouver Canucks people definitely want to go. And just imagine the feeling of like being there for their first goal back with fans in the stands. Elise Pettersson probably because he scores a lot. Do you sorry, do you like get that puck and frame it somewhere if you get the first goal after coming back from first COVID? Goal, is it like a, I mean, is I it think, a milestone type of goal? Like if you're the player that scored it? Well, for the team. For the team. It might be. I don't know if it would be though. First goal after COVID nineteen. It'd be. It'd, it'd have to be, the first goal in uh, Rogers Arena, sit with fans, fans back in the, in the stands because yeah, yeah. they played last year there. So I don't know if that's important. Yeah, I don't know. But it would be cool, I guess. But what I'm saying is like, just the feeling of being in a full crowd with that many people, and obviously it's going to take a lot of work for people to feel safe going back into that environment. But eventually we will get there, and eventually feeling that feeling again will be just just amazing. And, like, I personally, I've missed going on vacation, and I like going on a lot of trips that feature sports. And so I would love to be in California or somewhere right now watching the Blue Jays play when they were playing in Anaheim. Would you have gone down to Seattle? I would have been in Seattle this past weekend too, yep. which would have – I'm kind of glad I didn't go based on the result. But it would have been fun. And so now we can hopefully start getting back to that normal. Maybe Seahawks fans start going to Seahawks games again. Stuff like that is just going to – it's going to feel so good to have back, especially if you're a diehard sports fan. Other than hockey, is there a sport that you are looking forward to watching more in person? Uh, baseball is my favorite sport to watch in person. Mm -hmm. And then so if I could go to – and. Personally, I'm trying to go to like a Blue Jays game, probably in Toronto if I can make it work. But if not, I would love to go to a baseball game anywhere. They're just so mm – -hmm. I love the atmosphere of a baseball game. What about I, you? Well, I definitely think probably a football game. Um, I've never been, so maybe that's why I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in football games are, are great. It's, it's completely different than obviously a baseball game. But I, I think – not not that I didn't miss going to football games. It's just we just didn't go very often to begin with. So uh, if there if there wasn't a pandemic, would I have gone? Maybe. I'm not necessarily sure if I would have made the trek down to Seattle to go or, or maybe somewhere else. But it's not something that I miss because it's just something that I haven't done in a whole lot. I'm excited to go again and have that opportunity. But I, I think the, the thing is I, I'm more excited to just have the potential to even go to Calgary and watch some hockey or even go to Montreal or Toronto and watch some hockey. Like, you know, we're, we're in Rogers arena, you and I almost not every game day, but we're there fairly often. And to get into a different venue, that's something that I haven't gotten a chance to experience yet to, to, to watch the NHL draft, for example, next year in Montreal, go back to being normal and all of those kinds of things that we just forgot how to experience. Cause we've watched two NHL drafts now that have been virtual and, all of these kinds of things is, is something that now with the vaccine rollout and how everything is going and with more positive news coming out like the one today with the Atlanta Falcons and the Vegas Raiders and, and the Western Hockey League as well, it's all trending towards this normalcy and I, and I just can't wait for it. 
Definitely. And I'm kind of in the same boat where I didn't really travel to go to sports games that much. But once restrictions are are lifted, and I know you can go places in Canada right now, just kind of waiting for the hockey season to start. But once those restrictions are lifted, I think I'm definitely going to go to a lot more games in different places and maybe take weekend trips to, yeah, maybe Calgary. Probably not Edmonton because it, it's Edmonton. But places like that where you you probably wouldn't want to go, but now that you are you weren't able to for a while, you might want to take a trip there just to experience what it's like in, in different places and watching being the away team or being an away fan in a visiting barn and just feeling what that's like. Roger Shogill, Josh Elliott Wolf. It is Sportsnet 650 and the official home of the Vancouver Canucks. Sportsnet 650. I think I just repeated myself. Uh, <laughs> 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We were asking a lot of people earlier on today about where you would like, uh, you know, the NFL and, and, and the National Basketball Association and, and obviously the NHL as well to an extent, although we've seen it a bunch of times in, in, in hockey, where they would like to see games being played uh, that are untraditional. Uh, and obviously for hockey, Josh, there's, uh, there's Whistler a lot of people have thrown out there. That would be sick. People have thrown out Lake Louise, which would be absolutely amazing. Getting like the old, like the, the ice to just look so legitimately real and, and you know, painting the blue line and all of the, the hockey lines on that and creating these fake benches and just being in a real setting would be so amazing. Playing in mountains, kind of like the, the Canadian dream almost, if you will, right? How everybody imagines playing hockey. Like, that's something that I would find so great, and, and I'm sure the NHL is, is working on something like that. Um, but we don't see that in the NBA. We don't see that in the National Football League, and, and for obvious reasons, it's a little bit tougher. But where would you like to see the NBA or the NFL take their games to, to give it a little bit of a different feel? So I mentioned my NBA one a little bit earlier, the streets of New York, maybe in an alley or block off a street somewhere, play on the concrete, set up some hoops make it seem really NBA streety. Yeah. Uh, for football, it's a lot tougher because, like, any historic football place is yeah. probably a stadium. And it's just going to have the same vibe. I mean, when they played in England, that wasn't special to me. I don't think the NH or NFL was really trying to make it special either. They were just like, hey, we're in England, and then they really marketed he it heavy in England. The thing is, it needs to look different. Exactly. Right? If for when you watch an NHL game outside and, and the Winter Classic and the Heritage Classic and, and, and I'm not mentioning the other one, you you <laughs> you see those and you can tell right away that okay, this is not a, a normal NHL game. Um and, and obviously when you watch the Field of Dreams game, which is what we're basing this conversation off of, you can tell that it wasn't a, a your regular major league baseball game. Um but how do you do that for for the National Football League? How do you do that for the NBA? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like for, because the NFL is so big and it's all like glamour, it's all, you know, bright lights almost kind of feel to it. And these stadiums hold like 60, 70, 100,000 people. You kind of need to like bring it back to like the 1940s and play in 10,000 
seed arenas. Mud everywhere. Everywhere mud. The the goalposts need to be the uprights need to be like CFL style where they're in the front of the red in front <laughs> right. of the end zone like how the NFL used to be. Yeah. Uh you know, there's like no logos really at the end zones or maybe there is but like there's no coloring on it. It's just written over with spray painting grass, right? It's like it's like if the Seattle Seahawks were taking on the the uh, LA Rams in in Empire Stadium. Yeah. Like something like that. Yeah. It would look terrible, but it would look so terrible that it would be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. That would be an option. My my idea was you just put it somewhere really scenic right. where it's just like a really nice backdrop. Yeah. And maybe you only have fans on one side and it's limited, kind of like the what the Major League Baseball did with obviously nobody sitting in the corn yeah uh but they have people kind of behind home plate and on the that would be great on the palace. yeah just, just just guys running through corn the corn the cob, like. yeah uh but do it like that have a nice backdrop i'm not sure where you would do it that would be significant to football but it, i yeah. don't know maybe hawaii or something like that i know they have the pro bowl there sure um but like, it, it would definitely nfl would be the hardest one to do i would sure. my my idea would be canton ohio do it where they do the Hall of Fame game. That's obviously where the, the football world started. That's where the National Football League came into existence. There's a lot of rich history there. We know that the NFL is a very historic and traditional league. Uh, I just kind of wish they did the Hall of Fame game in a bigger setting and made it a bigger deal. But, hey, we'll see what happens. But, again, hey, you don't need to do that in the NBA and the NFL because they're such large entities. Um, but with the NHL, obviously you've got the ability to do that. Not only from a marketing point of view, but also how it looks from uh, aesthetics, I guess, as well. It is Roger Shergill. It is Josh Elliott Wolf. This was Sportsnet Tonight. Thanks so much for your interaction. Thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. We will be back very soon on these very airwaves. Josh Elliott Wolf and I. Sometime. Yeah. Can't tell you exactly when, but we will be back. I hope. At some point. We'll talk some Canucks. Lots of great news, obviously, coming out with the Vancouver Canucks uh, and and what their season could be. It's all getting started in just, I guess, a few weeks' time, but football season is right around the corner as well. Things are starting to heat up again in the world of sports, and we'll have you covered right here on Sportsnet 650. Thanks so much for joining us. This was Roger Shergill, Josh Elliott-Wolf, and this is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.